0: All right, for those of you that are online, I'll make a little jibber-jabber here. Everybody has changed seats just to mess with me. Joke's on them. I change seats. I don't normally lead worship, but I'm grateful. You started it. Yeah, I started it. That's right. How many times I tell you? I do what I want. All right, Lord, you do, you do what you want. That's right. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. We're going to jump into Judges chapter 6. It's going to be exciting. Lord willing, we're only going to make it about halfway because we're going to be focusing on Gideon and that work. And we're going to talk about revival. That's going to be the big key to this chapter. Personal revival. We talk about national revival, but let's talk about personal revival this evening. And with that said, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you apply it to us that you have it as alive and living, sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray that you would move through the reading and teaching of your word this evening as you empower us. And through all these things, you would be glorified and magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read a few verses. Let's read verses 1 through 6 together. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. And so it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord." Well, by now, chapter 6, you are very familiar with this cycle. The children of Israel were delivered. They were delivered for quite a long time. Forty years the land had rest in Judges chapter 5, after our last judge was raised up and Sisera was destroyed. And now Israel does evil in the sight of the Lord. And before we jump into the history and the context and the, and the background, I want to go immediately to us. Because as I've been saying, it's very easy for us to say, how could they do that? How could they do evil? How could after all these things, could they continue to make these choices and turn against the Lord, their God? And yet we know as believers, we will do evil again. We will sin. We will stumble. We will turn away from the Lord apart from him, our nature is is to depart from His presence. Men love darkness rather than light, the Scripture tells us. And you're like, oh, no, we're born-again believers. We're a new creation, a new creature. That's very true, and the Lord has given us a new nature, and He has given us victory over sin, death, and the devil. But 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 10 says, if we say that we have no sin, now He's speaking to the believer. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. All have sinned and fallen short, we know. And he has paid the price for this. But I've said it many times, and I'll continue to say it: The difference between a new believer and a strong believer, a disciple is that a strong believer and a disciple repents faster. That's it. Repents faster. The new believer oftentimes gets himself in the trouble, gets themselves in the heartache, heartache, finds himself into a bad position. They'll wait weeks, years even, before they return back to the Lord. And those that are walking close with the Lord, the disciples, elders, those that are deep in their relationship with Him, repent within minutes, hours. Even just don't wait that long. Why stay in this position? And now let's go back to the context here because they had departed from the Lord, they started worshiping false idols again, they stopped worshiping and spending time with the Lord, they started thinking about the things that are around them. The Lord allowed the Midianites to come in, and they are not gracious and loving like the Lord is. They took everything that the nation of Israel had. So, again, let's go to an agrarian society once again all year long you've been working let's say you have a vineyard we'll just stick to one crop you've been making sure the birds don't get in there you've been making sure robbers don't get in there you've been making sure that it's getting the right nutrients you've been praying for rain you've been watching it at night if a, a rainstorm comes down, you're praying it doesn't rain too hard night and day you're counting every single Greek grape you're talking to them. you're you're walking the vineyards you're feeling them and right at the time of harvest, right when you're finally able to recruit, you're able to make a crop, make a product, sell it, provide for your family. This is your bank account. The Midianites come in and they take your whole harvest. Just like that, they take it. Imagine you get one paycheck a year. I know in, in business, there are people that complain to me because at our company we pay once a week Once a week and they're upset. They wish they could get it daily. And then you have some companies, they do it every other week. And then for the federal government and others, you get paid once a month. Imagine you get paid once a year and you go to the ATM to cash your check and you get robbed. What's your life going to be like? Well, that's what's happening. When it says that they were sent to poverty, they're sent to poverty to where they're living in holes in the ground, verse 2 dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains they had to go and defend themselves they're just overtaken and so the midianites are coming in and they're robbing them and beating them and they're oppressed when we talk about personal revival this is usually where personal revival starts you're beat up you're overwhelmed the world has you hiding in a hole in the ground you just feel like nothing can go right everything has gone wrong everything that you tried is not working And you feel hidden. You feel hidden from the Lord. You're not alive. You just feel beaten down. Why stay there? Don't stay there. Remember, we talked about the difference in maturity between a strong elder, a strong disciple, and a new believer. Don't stay there. Flee to the Lord. It doesn't matter how many times it's been, how many times this cycle has happened, Verse 6, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. That is the secret to all revival. That is the secret to, re, to us growing and turning and getting out of the caves of our own mind, the caves that we put ourselves in our own body and our lives, getting out of the just existing mentality. You feel beat up. You feel overwhelmed. Finally, cry out to the Lord. You can't dig yourself out of a grave. I'm going to say it again. You cannot dig yourself out of a grave. And so many times we try and do it in our own power. Cry out to the Lord. Now, you guys know the formula. So is the Lord going to be like, nice try. This is chapter 6. You should have got it by now. It's chapter 6 now. I've done this a couple of times. I'm done with you. I'm going to go to somebody that actually listens. Well, spoiler alert, no, the Lord's going to put a process of events in place that we're going to see this evening that is not only going to radically change one person, it's going to change the entire nation because they finally cried out to the Lord. And so before we even get started... I want us to be crystal clear that if you are in need of revival and refreshing, you're not going to fix it within yourself. You're not going to look in a mirror and be like, I'm going to be a better person. You're not going to read yourself out of it with some self-help book. It's not some seance. It's not positive thinking. It's not writing it down on a piece of paper and putting it on your mirror. None of those things are going to change your soul. Now, I am not against any of those things. In fact, I encourage it. You know, positive thinking, mentality, you know, having the audacity to know that nobody in the world's gonna give it to you. You gotta actually go get it yourself. That those are practical facts. In fact, they're biblical facts. That as you sow, that shall you also reap. But when you're talking about the spiritual, when you're talking about your mental health when you're talking about your life and your life's purpose, it cannot be found in your own power. In fact, you will only make it worse. How can I say that? You can add money. You can add time. You can add physical strength or stature. You can add all kinds of things. You can accumulate all the wealth in the world, and it will count for. Nothing. Well, how can you make such a bold statement? Because Solomon was the richest, wisest man who ever lived. He had every woman you could possibly have. He had every bit of gold. He was the richest man who ever lived, ever. Everything at his fingertips, everything at his command. And what does he record in Scripture? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. So, yeah, put it up on your mirror. Go get it. Get another job. Get Improve your... Your stature and improve your charisma, be a different person. But then what? You could be the richest guy in the richest stronghold or the poorest guy in the poorest cave and not be able to put your head down on your pillow and have peace with yourself and with God. And many of us are oppressed and we're not walking in the victory that God has given us. And what was the golden ticket? Out. I'm talking about you online or here in in the sanctuary, what is the golden ticket? The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Let's talk about that. Verses 7 through 16. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is, was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And we are all His miracles, which our fathers told, and where are all His miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, "Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, "Go in this night, go in, this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, "O my Lord." how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now, I picked this big chunk of scripture as, on purpose, because usually we'll go through it section by section, and we're going to peel it apart. But I want us to see that there's a process here, and the process has started because what? Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, the Lord is going to do the work. The Lord first sends a prophet. Who sends the prophet? Did Israel make a prophet? Did Israel get on the phone and said, we need prophet services here? No. The Lord raises up this person who then does what? Just speaks a sermon, just goes through the history of Israel, says, hey, the Lord The Lord said this, and we want to remind you of the victories that we had in the Lord. And that begins a process. I want to give you some practical uh, tips along with spiritual tips. When it comes to your own revival and getting out of your cave, the first thing we do is cry out to the Lord. We let Him know, yes, we have sinned. We confess our sins. He's faithful to forgive us. Remember that from 1 John. Number two you've got to start listening to the prophets. What does that mean, listen to the prophets? Now, the Lord speaks through His Word, Hebrews chapter 1. He speaks through His Son. He no longer speaks through prophets for His prophetic Word. Genesis through Revelation is the completed Word, the revelation of Jesus Christ in Scripture. But... The gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, is more important than speaking tongues. He says, I wish that you all would prophesy. Well, how can we do that? Just by simply sharing the Word of God. Turn the Word of God on. So the first thing you're going to do, you're going to cry out to the Lord. You're going to confess your sins. And the, second thing, the third thing then is you're going to start having that life-breathing Word in your life. Put it on in the background. Put the sermons on. You have every sermon ever recorded in the history of mankind that has gone to audio file, and it is at your fingertips at any moment. What's your excuse? Like it should be in your car, it should be in your home, you could put it down softly when you're going to bed at night, and just be bathing yourself in the Word of God. Now, in and of itself, that is going to change the way that your brain works. How can I say that? In Ephesians chapter 5, it says that husbands are to be washing their wives in what? The water of the word. That the word of God has this washing effect. It's brainwashing except the positive. It's, It's brain cleaning. The garbage. And so we want that word of God. Now, we're just getting started. What happens next? What happens next? An angel is sent. What do you mean an angel was sent? In verse... What is it after his sermon? Verse 12, it looks like. And the angel of the Lord... 11 is when he first comes. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah. Now... The angel of the Lord, this is Jesus himself. How can I say that? Well, first of all, in verses 14 through 16, he's going to talk to him as the Lord. He knows he's the Lord. He's going to be revealed to himself. And especially later on, we're going to see that uh, Gideon doesn't know that this isn't just a regular man to begin with. We'll talk about that in a little bit because this is really important. But the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree. What is Gideon doing right now in this text? He's in the threshing floor. He's just working. He's just doing his job. He's just trying to make some money. That's it. He's not praying at the temple. He's not making sacrifices. He doesn't have sackcloth and ashes on. He's not worshiping. He's just trying to get by. But what's happened? The children of Israel have cried out to the Lord. The Lord has sent a prophet. And now what does it say? The angel of the Lord came. See, God comes to us. No one seeks after God. No, not one. He comes to us, and so he'll come to you in your cave, in the bottom of your valley, in the worst places. Jesus will come to you. And what does Jesus do? He sits there under the terebinth tree. He doesn't come on a conquering horse. I mean, if it were me, I'd I'd be riding a lion or something. I'd be like, remember Jericho when the Lord was the the captain of the army of the Lord? ready for battle. No, Jesus just comes, looks like a regular person, sits down under this tree. I can't tell you how much work is done in our lives by simply sitting down with God, just sitting with God, just spending time with Him. How do you do that? I don't know. I know what it is for me. Maybe you just need to pull out your guitar on your own and just sing worship songs. Maybe it's just by staring at the sunset, The Bible says to look at the heavens, the handiworks, the stars of God, and meditate and ponder on the goodness of God. Just sit with Him. How can you be any richer than sitting down with Jesus under a tree? And yet the Bible says that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the Lord brings revival. We don't bring revival. We we don't pray revival into existence. We simply sit with the Lord as He does the work. What else do we see here? The son of Gideon, he's, in the, he's threshing the wheat in the wine press. Why? In order to hide it from the IRS. I mean Midianites, in verse 11. What does the Lord have to say about this? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, "The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor." Now, this cannot be overstated. Is Gideon a mighty man of valor? He's doing his minimum wage job in the lowest place possible, hiding from the Midianites, just hoping he doesn't get robbed. And Jesus shows up and says, you mighty man of valor. Why does the Lord do that? Because the Lord knows. The Lord knows what? The Lord knows he uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. The Lord is going to magnify himself. He's going to show how great he is and how good he is, and how much he loves him, how much he loves Israel, how he'll never leave them or forsake them, because what did Israel do to deserve all this blessing that they're, he's about to bestow? What did Israel do to deserve Jesus Christ coming as a theophany in the Old Testament, it means he revealed himself before his incarnation? They did evil in the sight of the Lord is what happened, and then they were upset about it because of the consequences, and they asked for his help. That's what you need to do to earn revival in your own life. Nothing. The goodness and the grace of our God. He loves you. Yes, there's consequences for sin, and that as we sow, that shall we also reap. But he will never leave you nor forsake you. And here Jesus comes to the lowest point possible and says to Gideon, the weakest guy of the weakest tribe in the weakest part of Israel, hiding from the Midianites, and says, You mighty man of valor. It was two weeks after I was baptized. And I remember my pastor just talking to me. We were walking from the pool to the house. He said, I feel like the Lord's called you. I feel like he's got an anointing on you. That is the dumbest thing that a pastor could say to a 17-year-old kid who just came from a broken home, who doesn't know anything about the Bible. But it's just a prophetic word. It's just the Lord. What did I do to earn that? Nothing. And I definitely they didn't walk in that calling for a long time. And the same thing is true for you. He sees something in you, and it doesn't matter what circumstances you are in. It doesn't matter where you are in your life right now. It doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter what hole you found yourself. You're never going to earn it ever, and nothing has changed. And he can say to you, you, ma'am, you, sir, are a mighty person of valor. He's got plans for you. All you got to do is say, yes, sir. All you got to do is walk with him and sit under the tree. Because he is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in you. You are not faithful to complete the work that you began in yourself. But he is faithful. He will do that work in you. And then what else do we see? There's, I tell you, but wait, there's more. Gideon replies back to him, oh, my Lord. If the Lord is with us, see, he doesn't know he's the Lord. you see that? Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, you guys catch that? He's staring Jesus in the face, and he's questioning him if God is with us. His name is Emmanuel. His name is God with us, and he is so dumb. This is you and me now. He says, if God is with me. The irony of this statement, you just can't walk past it. Why then has all this happened to us? Tell me these aren't questions that you ask every day. And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? That's another important one. Okay, what else? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now, here's another irony, the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites oh you laugh now how dumb are the things you say to the Lord I don't know about you but I've had some pretty embarrassing conversations that when the Lord reveals them to you guys you'd be like really you asked him that you complained about that you said that yeah we're all guilty does the Lord condemn him even better Does the Lord answer his direct questions? How would you answer it if you were the Lord? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I'm going to do? How dare you question me? Do you know who you are? No, no. Then the Lord, verse 14, turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Here it is. Have I not sent you. The Lord completely ignores all his complaints, his questions, his heartbreak, his confusion. He ignores all of it. Because the Lord knows the victory is already going to be done. Why? Because he's sending him. He's making it happen. He is there. And he is just as present with us now. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is in us. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. He has given us His gifts. He has given us the Word of God. He has sacrificed Himself on the cross. He has conquered sin, death, and the devil. And we still hide in a cave saying, Lord, why have you allowed this terrible thing to happen? One, because you're dumb. (laughs) You made a dumb choice. Well, same with me. Or this terrible thing happened to you because we live in a sin-cursed world or somebody else made a really big dumb choice, but he hasn't forsaken anyone. In fact, he's sitting under the tree with a plan and he's given us his word. And he says to us, go, go into all the world and preach the gospel. What does he tell the Gideon? Go, go, have I not sent you? Go in this might. What might? What might is he talking about? Go in this might of yours. Isn't it crazy when the Lord asks us to do the impossible? Because we're just like, this doesn't add up. You know, Lord, one plus one doesn't equal seven, okay? Except for the Lord's math, it does. And so Gideon, he's got some questions here. Verse 15, so he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Good question. You can't. Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, And I am the least in my father's house. But here's the secret, verse 16. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now, I'm going to take verse 16, and we're going to apply it to the very beginning of this message. Stuck in a cave of your own thoughts, overwhelmed by the world, overwhelmed by the enemy, wondering what you did to be overtaken in need of revival, in need of refreshing. What did Gideon do to deserve any of this? Nothing. The Lord came to him. The Lord sent his prophet. The word of God is yes and amen, always faithful. And here he has now been told that he will deliver Israel. And he says, how can I? I'm the weakest of the weakest. Nothing has changed. Listen, where is Gideon right now? Not a single thing has changed. He's still there at the threshing floor. He is still there at the lowest point. He is still hiding from the Midianites. Nothing in his surrounding has changed, except for his relationship with God is changing. We always focus on the external. We're always focusing on the things and how we feel and all the stuff and all the pressure. And we're always looking at the outside when you could just as easily sit under the tree with the Lord and just spend some time with Him and things will begin to move. Heaven and earth will move. And you say, you say how can I do that? I'm the weakest. I'm the dumbest. I haven't, don't even know the Lord for like a year. I, I barely became a believer, and now you want me to go sit with him and talk to this invisible character under a tree? Who put the tree there? Who, who put the beating of your heart? Who wrote your DNA? Who put the heavens in the sky? Where did the land come from that you sit under? How many human beings has he walked across that land before? And you dare say that he's nowhere to be found, not to mention what he's done on the spiritual plane for us. And you can sit with him. I don't care if you're a million dollars in debt. I don't care if you don't have a penny. I don't care if, if you have $10 million in the bank. I don't care if you're in the best health of your life or if you just got told you have terminal cancer. I don't care if you have betrayed every single person on the planet or if you have been betrayed by everyone. I don't care if you don't have the self-discipline to say no to things in your life or if you have incredible discipline. Our need for God is the same. Our need for the spiritual walk with Him. Same thing that Jesus said to the woman at the well, those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that's the only fulfillment. Gideon is going to do these things because the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. That is a declaration. That is not a question. That is not an encouragement. He is simply saying it. And when the Lord speaks, it is done. So let's read verses 17 to 24. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Uh-oh, Gideon's suspecting now. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. He said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Verse 22, highlight this if you have a highlighter. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you, do not fear you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is Peace. To this day it is still in Ophrah from the Abizurites. All the way at the very end, and now Gideon figures out who this is. Now, let's start back at the beginning of this, verse 17. If now I have found favor in your sight. If you are who you say you are, who I think you might be, hey, don't go anywhere. I've got to check this out. Now, the Lord doesn't ridicule him. The Lord doesn't kick this back. The Lord says, okay. Now, we're not to test the Lord, but the Bible says that we are to test the spirits because we've got to make sure these things are actually from God. So Gideon is not in error for checking this out. We just don't believe any random person comes to us, tells us something strange. You know, a person could come to me tomorrow and say that I need to take over Taiwan by myself and God sent me. If God's going to send me to do it. And if I check the scripture, I'll be like, yeah, that's not biblical. So that's not from the Lord. So Gideon here, he puts out a fleece, as it were. Puts out this test to test the Lord. The, the Lord's got no problem with it. And so he puts out this food, sacrifices an animal. He doesn't go down to the grocery store and go buy it. So he's actually got to go through this whole process. And this whole time, he's spending time thinking, processing, There's no way this is going to work. This is crazy. This is insane. This plan is insane. This is the dumbest thing in the world. I should have just finished my threshing and got out of there as fast as I could before the Midianites show up. Because they're going to come. They always do. And he puts the stuff over the rock. And the angel of the Lord, we know who's the Lord, the theophany, puts the end of his staff out there and it just consumes in fire. How often it is that we just don't know that we're spending time with the Lord. You think that the Lord hasn't been spending time with you. You think that you've been absent from him. You think that you are somehow able to have this um, silent treatment with him. And you'll talk to him when you're good and ready. The whole time he's hanging out with you. The whole time he's interacting with you. And you're like, wait, Lord, let me figure this out. I'll come back to you. Will you just wait there till I'm ready? The crazy thing about our Lord is he does. And so then he lights the barbecue on fire. And this is the thing that makes Gideon go, this is God. This is the angel of the Lord. Notice something. The angel of the Lord has been with him all the way since the tree, since he came and sat down under the tree, The angel of the Lord has been with him the whole time. They've had this conversation together. They've gone through this information together. He's confessed his doubts, his criticisms, his history. He's unpacked all these things with the Lord, and he doesn't even know it's the Lord. He thinks it's a random guy, just a random guy showing some hospitality. And the majority of the time that we have a personal revival, we're actually in the revival, and we don't even know it yet because... We're focused too much on the exterior, the outside, the pressures, the things that we think are stacked against us, when really the Lord is doing the work already. It's beginning. I think of the fig tree when the Lord came to him and he saw that it was a lot of leaves, but there was no fruit. And he was upset. Well, one time he cursed it and it died, but another time he dug around the roots. And he watered it because it was all withered. And then he came back and it was, came back to life. Well, the same thing is true with us. Sometimes we are like that tree. And we wither under the heat and the pressure in the world. And the Lord comes and he's doing his work. He's digging. But we don't see the fresh fruit. We don't see the green leaves yet. And we don't see that he's watering us and he's working in us and he's tilling us. He's not done with us. Go home and spend some time with the Lord in private. Sit with him. He's talking to you even now. And we don't even know it. In fact, when Gideon does figure it out, verse 22, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. But what does it say at the end of verse 21? And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. It's when he could no longer see him that he figured out that he was with the Lord. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you can look back in your life, periods that were very difficult, or periods that were times of great revival or great blessing, and you didn't know until now how close you were with the Lord at that time. And you look back on it fondly. Even It might be a difficult time. You're like, man, when we went through this or when we had this, I felt so close to the Lord. I felt so close. And now I don't feel that anymore. But when you were in it, you had no idea. You're like, oh, Lord, please deliver me out of this. I don't want to be here another minute. Gideon's showing that that is totally normal. Now, I want you to see something else. When Gideon does figure it out, and he says, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, what does the Lord have to say to him? Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. He is terrified. When he understands whose presence he's been in, he is fearful for his life. I know we've all been in a position like this before, at least I have. I can't believe it, but it's true. And what does the Lord say to Peace be with you. Do not fear. You know, sometimes when we finally do realize that we were playing with fire, that we finally do realize the judgment that we deserve, when we finally do realize how bad we've really messed up, we're fearful, as we should be. But most of the time for his children, the Lord says, do not fear. Peace be upon you. Why do we have peace? Because the king of peace, the prince of peace, our Lord gave himself as a ransom for that for the sins that we committed, and the judgment that we did rightfully deserve, he took upon himself because he loves us. And what do we do with that? Just what Gideon did. He built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it, The Lord is Peace, and it's there to this day. You need to make not an altar because the Lord is our great high peace. He gave himself. But we need to spend time with the Lord and worship with him and fellowship with him And that's when these things are cultivated. This battle, we're going to go through the battle next week. But this battle is over. It's done. Like the victory has happened here at this altar. It's over. Everything else is just walking in the promises that the angel gave. And the same thing is true in our personal revival. Your personal revival can start and finish right here in the chair you're in right now if God promises it. If you seek him out and you spend time, that's it. You're going to overcomplicate it, and you're going to want to go down to the Christian bookstore and buy a journal, and you're going to want to watch some video, and you're going to want to have some worship music to tie. No, no, no. no. It's done. It's done. What did Gideon deserve any of this for? What works did he do? What books did he buy? What church did he go to? What sermon did he hear? Nothing. The Lord came to him, period. End of story. And the Lord said, it is done. Because our righteousness is filthy rags. There is nothing good that dwells in me, Paul would say. But our Lord, he does the work, and all his promises are yes and amen. He told us, doesn't a good father, doesn't even a good or even a bad mother and father know how to give good gifts to their children? They would never give rocks to their children. They would give bread. How much more does our Lord so this evening, as we close in prayer, and we, we close out the rest of this evening in prayer interceding for one another, we just want to cry out to the Lord. We just want to confess to Him, and we just want to sit with Him, and we just want to acknowledge the work that He's doing in us. And we don't want to leave here going back to our caves, going back to oppression, going back to that pressure. We want to leave here victorious and filled with the Spirit because He says so. Not because we can keep a promise, but because He will. Let's pray. Father, we spend the rest of this evening with you, and we pray that you would be teaching us and directing us, that we'd be growing in you. We pray, Lord, that you would change us, change our lives, take the stony hearts from us and give us hearts of flesh, that there be a great moving of your spirit, and that you would use the weakest, smallest of us for your glory to magnify your name, because you say so. In Jesus' name, amen.